Welcome to 21 and Sober, a podcast where I talk openly about the nitty-gritty of everyday life on my journey to becoming the best version of myself as a gay young adult in sobriety. Whether you're young, old, sober, sober curious, or a drinker, tune in with me every Wednesday as we enter our glow-up era together and discuss topics that will help us improve our lives in every way possible. Let's get it! Hey guys, happy hump day. Welcome back to 21 and Sober. I am Dylan, your host on this show. Um, I am doing great today and I hope you guys are as well. I did a little gym sesh earlier and then I took a hot girl walk with my roommate to a coffee shop nearby. It's literally so cute and I got a little latte sipping on that right now. No mocktail today, I know. Shocker, but I just wanted to talk about something that is very important to me and very critical to know, especially on this show and in life. And I honestly should have covered it earlier, but I didn't. So we're doing it now. (laughs) Basically, I want to talk about the process of getting sober, what that looks like, how to do it, and the steps thereafter. So First of all, I think if you are interested in cutting down your alcohol or getting sober, it is so important to really analyze what your patterns of your drinking are and what is concerning you about your drinking. So for women, less than three drinks a day, a drink being the alcohol content equivalent, so like one shot, one glass of wine, or one beer, those are all equivalent or less than seven drinks per week is considered normal drinking. For men, less than four drinks a day and less than 14 drinks a week is considered normal drinking. Anything above these is considered high risk and potential alcohol use disorder. And I don't really know where the discrepancy is of why the limit for men seven more a week that's actually insane but you know what i don't make i don't make the rules but i also just wanted to give everyone some statistics just to really like take a step back and realize like this is more common than we think so in the national institute of health only 55 percent of americans drank in the past month which is honestly shocking to me i feel like it is so common in our society to drink, but only 55% of people are active drinkers, apparently. And according to the Washington Post, 13% of people struggle from an alcohol use disorder. And to me, I think that proportion is insane. So 12% of the population is big already, but out of only 55% of people who are drinking, and 12% of the entire population of the United States has alcohol use disorder. That is something that needs to be talked about. So you'll understand in a second why I am concerned about this. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM-5, it basically has the criteria for everything mental health-wise. They have a definition of alcohol use disorder as a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress manifestation by two plus of the following criteria in a 12-month period. So they have 11 criteria, and if you meet two of these or more, you are considered to have alcohol use disorder. So the first question being, do you drink more than you mean to? The second being, do you want to stop but can't? The third being, is drinking taking over your life? 
The fourth being, if you can't drink, are you thinking about drinking? And then there's, is your drinking getting in the way of day-to-day activities? Is drinking getting in the way of your relationships? Are you sitting things out because of alcohol? Are you drinking in risky settings or doing risky things while drinking? Do you know drinking isn't good for you, but do you do it anyway? Do you need to drink more than you used to to get a buzz? Do you feel it when you stop drinking? These are great criteria, I believe, myself. But I do not like the 12-month period aspect of it because it's basically saying to people, okay, well, you have alcohol use disorder now, but in 12 months, if you don't fit any of these criteria, then you don't have alcohol use disorder. And to me, I think it's honestly a lifelong thing. I think once you meet it, and this is my opinion, but I have experienced it firsthand. You know, I got sober. I definitely had alcohol use disorder and I got sober and then I decided, okay, I'm doing great. Like I'm going to, cause obviously I didn't fit this criteria anymore. Um, and I felt great and I decided to drink again, but you know what? I was right back at square one after like a month and some things were different. Like it wasn't the same amount of usage, but it became just as bad quickly. And that's something to really listen to. And I don't think it should be taken lightly if you are meeting these criteria. I think you should really reevaluate your drinking and be careful with it. You know, if you, it's up to you if you want to cut down or ultimately be sober, and that's a respectable decision, whatever you choose. There's no right or wrong. You know, you could continue to drink at the same rate. That's fine. Like, it's up to you. It's your life how you want to live it. But I just wanted to give the facts and... Um, you know, it's up to someone what they want to do, but for me, I think it's a very serious topic and to get sober and then, okay, I don't meet the criteria anymore. Like you can't, it's a lifelong thing and you have to keep it up. And that's the unfortunate nature of alcohol use disorder and something I'm coming to terms with myself. But that honestly makes us, it makes us need the conversation about okay, well, why do we feel like it's a hindering of our life to not be part of this culture of drinking? And I honestly highly recommend reading literature, especially This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, if you're thinking of cutting down your alcohol use or quitting it altogether. She really breaks apart big alcohol industry. They're advertising the culture around drinking and just what it will look like on your body and your mind if you cut alcohol out of your life. And I have yet to finish the book, but I've read most of it and it has been phenomenal in helping me to realize like my habits with my drinking and factors that have really caused me to have the perspective that I have on drinking and, you know, childhood things or things I saw, you know, in society, like billboards or posters on liquor stores, what friends and family might say about alcohol. It's just like, it's a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. And it really can help someone if you feel like, okay, I'm drinking too much. Even if you feel like I don't necessarily have a problem, but if you feel like, okay, well, I honestly don't want to be drinking as much as I am now. I feel like I'm doing every weekend or, you know, after work, I'm starting to have wine or a drink to wind down. And I don't want to be doing that. This is a great book to read. And these questions are also great to ask. And none of this is, I'm not saying I have all the information. I'm just saying I've done a lot of research. I've 
kind of done trial and error because no one's really guided me through it, especially when I was first getting sober. I just had to figure it out on my own and I was only 20. So it was difficult, but I did a lot of research and I also learned a lot in nursing school about psychology and just like psychiatric health um, and care for that. You know, something we use in the hospital is called the cage assessment. It just assesses for specifically alcohol use, but it can be used for any type of substance use. So that just consists of four questions. Um, The first one being, have you ever felt you should cut down on your drinking? The second being, have people annoyed you by criticizing your drinking? The third being, have you ever felt bad or guilty about your drinking? And the fourth being, have you ever had a drink first thing in the morning to steady your nerves or get rid of a hangover? And these are very important questions to ask because I think they go hand in hand with alcohol use disorder. So like when I am in my substance abuse era, like when I'm drinking, like I, if I wanted more, like I would feel like people were watching me or especially like the second time around, I knew I needed to cut down because it was getting bad again. And I felt that I just felt a lot of shame and because I was sober for so long and like I was doing so good, it just felt like, oh shoot, like, well, now I'm back at square one and people are going to see that I tore all this down that I built. And, you know, that's not the reality. Like I still have everything I built for myself. It was just a choice of whether I wanted to continue to damage it and eventually destroy it. Or if I wanted to pick back the pieces and make it better than it was before. So I decided to do that. But for that assessment, so if you scored two or more of those questions, yes, you are suspected of having alcohol use disorder. And I just want everyone to know, like, it is not something to be ashamed of. If you need help, please reach out and get that help. It is so important. And something I'm about to get into, like, it is so important to get help professionally if you feel like you are at risk of having a medical emergency. So for me, I quit cold turkey just because I... Honestly, like I was drinking, like I was like binge drinking. It wasn't necessarily like I was dependent on it. Um, So acute alcohol withdrawal is basically one day to two weeks after you have your last drink. And if you had a hangover, I have an update for you. You had acute alcohol withdrawal. So basically this is like a glorified word for a hangover. It consists of anxiety, nausea, vomiting, sweating, faster heart rate, and possibly fever. But if you are dependent on alcohol, it is very life-threatening. Not always, but it can be. You can get seizures. You can get delirium tremens, which is basically you have the shakes. You're having an altered level of consciousness. You can have elevated fever, which can increase your brain pressure and just cause so much altered function of your body and that can be life-threatening. So it's very important that you seek medical care if you feel that you're chemically dependent on it because if you all of a sudden take that out, that is dangerous and your body is not going to know how to react on its own and you're going to need medical treatment and medication that can help you to stabilize and come off of the alcohol in a healthy way so that you can be sober and healthy afterwards. Um, 
But something I think most people don't talk about, and something I honestly learned two months ago with my second time getting sober, was post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And this is something I experienced insanely on my first time getting sober. So it's basically, it can last a few days to years. It's after your acute alcohol withdrawal, whenever that ends. So it can consist of anxiety, mood changes, depression, lack of libido, brain fog, lack of motivation, low energy, memory problems, cravings, um, increased hunger. So like these are things that I was experiencing and I didn't have an explanation. And it honestly ties into, so when you are drinking, you are putting an essential nerve, nerve system depressant. You're putting an essential nervous system depressant into your body, and that is lowering everything in your nervous system. But when you obviously don't have that alcohol, it's not depressing your system anymore. Your body is confused. It That has become its normal state. Well, your body's like, oh, okay, the depressant's gone, so now I'm like in this elevated state, and it becomes hyperactive because it's like, well, I don't know where the balance is anymore, and it's trying to figure that out. That's what the withdrawal is. But it also damages your frontal lobe. At the end of the day, alcohol is a toxin. It's ethanol. It has ethanol in it, which is literal toxin. It's a toxin. Like That's why they call it intoxicated. It's poison to your body and to your liver. And it damages your frontal lobe in your brain. It basically, the frontal lobe controls your emotions and personality and your memory and behavior, your decision-making. So all of this is like your frontal lobe healing during post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Your frontal lobe is healing. You're becoming more yourself. And it's confused right now. It's trying to get over, okay, well, this alcohol was constantly, you know, affecting me. Well, now it's gone. So what am I doing? And it tries to fill that void somehow. And I, for literally like two months, I was like craving junk food. Like I just wanted ice cream every day and like something like I got a sponsor and he was just like, you know what, do what you need to do as long as you stay sober for like the first couple months. And so I did. And I like eventually ended the post-acute withdrawal, but I definitely like experienced it and I felt like irritability and just lack of motivation. I was honestly still a little depressed and I was kind of shocked because I was like, you know, I think people make it out to be like, once you get sober, it's like sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and it's not, it really isn't <laughs> like it's hard work and this can last up to years. And I honestly don't think that's fully true for most people. I think it's kind of like COVID when they were like, oh, you know, if you lost taste or smell, it can last for years. But that wasn't like most people got it back after like a month or two. So I think this is the same thing. Like it, it occurs, it can occur, but I don't think it'll occur for that long. I think that's just the extreme, but it does happen. And I think this just all ties into how you need to react once you get sober. So I think it is so important to get into a good routine once you get sober. And this consists of a lot of things. You need to find new hobbies that you enjoy, you know, that don't revolve around alcohol. I highly advise stay out of the bars until you recognize your triggers. For me, a lot of it is like dating or just like the perspective of like, alcohol culture, I kind of romanticize it. And I'm like, you know what, like, I'm gonna go on 
a few dates and just like get drinks with them and like be like promiscuous, silly, like, I don't know. So dumb, literally so dumb. Um, and also just like, I get FOMO. That's a trigger for me. Um, when I feel like I'm socially anxious and everyone else is drunk and like outgoing, I definitely get triggered, but, um, also just like you could have a hard day at work and get triggered. Like it's so normal for people to be like, Oh, I'm so stressed. I need a drink after this. And that could be someone's coping mechanism. Good for them. But for me, no. And like, it is triggering for me when I am like, Oh gosh, I just want something to take this edge off. Cause when you're sober, you don't have that. Like you just need to use your coping techniques and that's it. And it is rough, but like it, you will get better. You will get better. And once you recognize those triggers, you know how to react to them better. And with that being said, like you can eventually go back to the bars if that's something you're interested in. But I think it needs to be addressed also. Why are we conforming to this culture of drinking? If you don't feel like you will need to go to a bar, then don't go to the bar. And this has to do with also the circle you're with, if they don't support your decision to not go to the bar, or if it really affects them that much to be like, oh, you're so lame, like you won't go out with us anymore. They're not your friends. And like, this is another thing. You need to figure out like who in your life you want in your life and who's supporting you and serving you in your intentions and goals, because that is going to be priceless in your sobriety and that's something i've really noticed is the moment i stopped drinking the people who i was drinking with they they disappear like they they're gone it's like okay like were you even my friends and honestly they don't even care about your well-being like i have friends who like so my most recent time getting sober i ended up checking myself into a mental health facility just because I have dealt with depression for over 10 years. I recognize when I'm doing worse and I was like, I really need to get a handle on this. Like, I don't know what's going on um, or what to do at this point. So I was like, I'm going to get help. And I was vulnerable. And those people, it was like, this is like me sharing on the internet. Only like five people know about this, but now you all know. But like, I those five people like were so important to me and like they were calling me every day when I was in there and like visiting me dropping me stuff off and it was the sweetest thing and like they have been so important in my recovery from the beginning and I could not have done this without them and I love them with my entire heart if you're listening to this thank you so much like you are words can't describe how much you mean to me but, you know, there's also people who I would seek out to party with and they just don't care. Like they do not reach out. Like I had these, I had enormous amounts of these friends when I was drinking the first time. But my second time I started finding people like this again and they were just like nowhere to be found when I was when the times got rough, they were nowhere to be found. And you really just need to figure out who cares about you. And I think once you get sober, this will be night and day. Like you will see it so quick. And the second you stop going to the bars or you choose yourself, people will get livid. Like they will not like it. And that's sad, but like that's the reality. And these people are just insecure in themselves. And 
you just have to wish them the best. And I don't think it's selfish to cut someone off if they don't, if they're not benefiting you. Like, it's one thing if, like, I'm not saying you have to take, 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 but it should be a mutually beneficial relationship. And if that person doesn't care about you or they're not supporting you and reaching your higher goals, then that's, it's nothing against them. It's just, you know, you need to make room for people who are and one door closes so another could open. And that's my perspective. But, you know, meeting those people, especially friends who don't drink that much or sober people is also amazing because you need to find activities when you're sober that replace the fun that you had in mind. So when you get sober, you really still have this perspective, like being or having fun is getting drunk and going to the bar. And that's not the only fun there is. There's so much more to do. You know, you can go to a museum, you can go on hikes, you can get into fitness and running or, you know, whatever it is you like to do, biking, kayaking, you can explore new places, you can travel, you can go to concerts, you can go to art festivals, literally anything. Like the options are endless. And I think just when I was drinking, like I also would do these things and I'd want to pregame them or whatever, like just finding out how to live without alcohol is the equivalent to fun is something that takes time, but it's important to do. And meeting those sober people can really help. I went to AA. I'm not in AA right now, but I went to AA originally to meet sober people because I didn't know where else to go. And I loved it. It really gave me a new perspective on the consequences that alcohol can have. And a lot of these meetings are open. So that means it's open to anyone. Um, You can find it on websites in any city you are. There's also an app called Meetings Guide. And it shows any meetings near you, what time they're at. And these meetings are great. They have specific ones. They have like women's meetings, men's meetings. There's an LGBTQ meeting that I went to for the first time. My first ever meeting was that one. It was amazing. Love the people there. They're so sweet. And it's just so important if you have someone, you know, who's sober or they are wanting to get sober or, you know, you're just interested in it. These people can really tell you what it's like to be sober and they can assist you into seeing like what can happen in the dark side of drinking. Because I think a lot of people like to think, oh, you know, the consequences like, oh, I texted my ex last night at the bar. Like that's not, yes, that's embarrassing, but that's not a consequence of alcohol. Like if, I mean, it is, but like, it is not one of the dark ones. And yes, it puts you in risky behavior. I'm not trying to discredit that, but it, there are so much more like things that the rabbit hole can lead to if you keep drinking and it's a problem. So I think it's important to be aware of that if you are interested in cutting down your drinking or you're wanting to get sober and just like seeing these people, their strength and their courage and how they turn their life around is insane. Like some of these people are so respectable and I look up to them a lot. And even just like, if you have nothing to do with meeting, just hearing their story is amazing. Like they are some quality people out there, but yeah, it is just great to go to those things, reading literature, I love getting a self-help book. So much fun. So great. (laughs) Love it. But, you know, just like finding these changes to your life is so important because you need to break these habits that you had in your drinking life because now you're in a different 
completely different lifestyle. And that is going to be the deciding factor of whether you relapse or whether you don't. And old habits die hard. And there's a lot of sayings like after four weeks, you start to break a habit and create a new one. It takes time, but it's important to start to break the old habits and create new ones because the new lifestyle you have will be what you're leaning on while you're sober. And it's what you make of it. And also just really creating the resources for yourself to stay sober is so important. Like it is, someone told me it doesn't matter how much time you have in sobriety. It's about the quality, quality over quantity. And I stick with that. I think if you're really putting in the intentions to quit drinking or to cut it down and you really just want to live a better life, that's, it's all what you make of it. And just finding ways to support yourself, whether that's, you know, seeing a therapist too is great. I love anything with self-growth, self-help. Um, those are amazing. But like long-term, honestly, like six months sobriety, I felt like the full effects of being sober. I was so clear in my head. I had a consistent routine. I had boundaries. I was no longer people pleasing. I knew how to say no. I was working out every single day and eating healthy and really just treating my body with respect rather than binging and restricting with my eating or things like that. Like I was just so clear and that's something I'm trying to get out again. But even even with post-acute withdrawal, like if you are experiencing that, like it is night and day compared to when I was drinking. Like I immediately feel like way better than I was when I was drinking. That's my experience. I know some people don't feel like that. I have met people who even when they're sober, they it didn't fix their problems. And that's really heartbreaking. But you know, you just have to find what works for you. And I really emphasize, don't do this on your own. Get support. Reach out for help. It is so, so, so important. And anyone, even if you're not trying to cut drinking or have anything related to drinking, make sure that you're vulnerable and seeking help because that is so important. And I don't think people talk enough about mental health. It is something that we all deal with, even if you don't have mental illness. And it's something that we need to support each other on. But... Without further ado, that is all I have for you today. I will talk more about habits and creating the life that you want, but I just really wanted to touch base on just withdrawing and what it looks like initially when you're getting sober, because I don't think anyone talks about it enough. And it's so important to recognize how to get sober and why you're getting sober. I don't think it's also recognized that much like what goes into an alcohol use disorder and how is that characterized? And if you're able to compare your patterns to that of a textbook definition, it might help you to decide that for yourself. Because at the end of the day, I feel like that's the hard part about alcohol use disorder or having a problem with substance abuse. It is subjective. And the only one that can tell you if you have it is yourself. So it's up to you if you want to accept that and make a change or continue in the cycle of binging and staying in that pit controlled by alcohol or whatever substance you're struggling with. But I wish you guys all good luck. And if 
you have any questions, please DM me, but please like and follow my podcast and rate it. And I will see you guys next week. Bye.